It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Man, I'm, so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it every night about it. A real C's fan wouldn't want to live their life without it. Banner 18 in the making, we gotta make it. Best squad in the East and still we can't get complacent. Most winning franchise, so the history's ancient. You can tell the mother guys are going plan a vacation. Yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J. King Locked on, trying to get the 18th ring The most in-depth coverage that you ever gonna hear Well-respected in a city like Russell's career It's raining Jays, raining Jays. Millie's. Welcome back. This is the Locked On Celtics Podcast And I want to thank you for making us part of your daily routine Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going Just want to say thank you for including us Or me, for today anyway I'm John Corrales of MassLive.com and of the Rain and Jays, and I am here solo today to walk you through a few things from the Tuesday practice. Starting with Marcus Smart, he returned to talk to the media and to start getting some of the treatment at the Celtics practice facility and make use of all of their advanced technology. Now that he can finally move around, I'll talk a little bit about that. I'll also talk about some of the other things that transpired at the practice, some of the things I saw, some of the things that were said. Uh, Brad Stevens talked a little bit about uh, some of the lineups and, and, and different things that, that were uh, asked of him at the media uh, availability. Kyrie spoke, other people spoke, but uh, I'll get you through some of the other stuff. And then later on, I'll share a little radio hit that I did with my friend Rich Kimball up in Maine, in Bangor, Maine, on The Zone. And that will be the podcast if you are a new listener, I want to thank you. We don't usually do solo shows, but every once in a while I'll, I'll solo here and, and walk you through some things when the other guys aren't available or aren't feeling well. So if you're new, go ahead and subscribe so you can get all different versions of, of the show. And post-game, pre-game, whatever it is that we do, subscribe. You can do that on the new Himalaya podcast app, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anywhere, Spotify, uh, anywhere podcasts live. And you could always ask your smart device to play podcasts locked on Celtics. So let's start with Marcus Smart, who returned to the Celtics and their practice facility. He said on Tuesday that he can actually walk without some pain. Uh, the first few days, he everything he did was painful. He talked about it. And it makes sense. The oblique... You have to understand where the oblique tear was. This partial tear was where the oblique connects to basically right above the left hip. If you're looking at your body, the, the oblique helps you twist and turn, and it connects at the hip. It's a muscle that connects right at the bottom of the hip. And that's not a usual place for a player to strain an oblique, but that impacts just about everything you do. Any kind of core injury like that, any sort of strained abdominal, any sort of strained oblique, a lower back issue. It's all the same thing. Your core is where all of your movement begins. That's just how the body is built. And so when you injure something like that, it will take time 
to feel just comfortable doing any little thing. For example, he says it still hurt hurt it still hurts real bad to laugh, cough, or sneeze. But the everyday stuff is getting better, walking, getting out of bed, and things like that. Think about that for a second. Walking and getting out of bed. Now, I'm old, so sometimes getting out of bed is challenging, but he's in his early 20s. That's not something that should be a challenge. It's something you, walking around and getting out of bed is something that's uh, you take for granted. And that's the level of pain that he's been in. That now, nine days later, he's telling the media, yeah, now I can do that without pain. That tells you how bad it is. Now, and on Wednesday's day 10, it's probably going to take at least another few weeks. He talked about the four to six weeks, but it's he's targeting like a, a couple of weeks just to be able to start lightly jogging. You know, that's that's how, uh, how much it hurts, and that's how much time it's going to take for a muscle to kind of regenerate itself and, and he can recover. Um, in the meantime, he's there. He's going into the pool, and they have top-notch facilities there, all brand new. This is the first year that it's in, in existence. So they've got all of the training facilities and recovery facilities that he needs to really do this as quickly as humanly possible. So Smart's going to do that. In the meantime, he's going to be on the bench for game two. He says he's going to be at the arena. He'll be there. He'll be cheering his guys on, hopefully taking it a little easy, hopefully not getting too excited. Uh, you know how Marcus Smart gets, and I don't want him to like re-injure something in a close game because he's he's getting overly excited. But one thing that he can be is a sort of coach on the bench. And the one thing that the Celtics really do miss when he's not there is a guy that can anticipate, that can do some of the things that other players just aren't able to do. They're not, they're not smart enough to do. They're not, uh, they don't have that level of knowledge and instinct. I mean, instinct is really the thing. They, they can, Marcus Smart can see things that they can't, can do things that they can't, can anticipate things that they can't. That just is what makes Marcus Smart a, a special basketball player. What makes him so valuable to the Celtics and Having him on the bench can add a, an element of, especially for a guy like Rozier or even Gordon Hayward or, or Kyrie Irving, the, he and Kyrie are tight. And if he can, hey, say, hey, Kai, when these, when this is happening, you know, you need to be over more. You're doing this. You should be here. And and he's one of the guys that could probably tell Kyrie something like that, and Kyrie can can listen. You know, because when it comes to defensive positioning and getting yourself in the right place and anticipating, no one's better than Marcus Smart. So uh, he can he can help guys, and he can just see things that we guys on the floor can see things that guys on the bench can't, and vice versa. Guys on the bench can see things that guys on the floor don't think is happening, or or you know, you're in the heat of that moment. And maybe you're not seeing the whole floor, and the guys on the bench can see the whole floor. And when Smart is there to see the whole floor, he gives you a little something extra. So it was good to see Smart there, smiling. He's got that fresh braid, that dollar sign on the top of his head, which was cool. 
He's, you know, talking to his teammates. He's, he's talking to people and, and being part of the team. And when you're hurt, especially with this kind of injury, in the first week or so, you can't really get out of bed or move around or do anything significant. You feel like this thing that you've been working towards your whole season, this whole season has been geared to this playoff moment especially this season with how crazy it's been, especially this season with the faded expectations and now trying to rekindle those to go into the next to last game of the regular season and get hurt and be told you could miss the first two rounds of the playoffs. Well, there may not be more than two rounds of the playoffs without Marcus Smart. And that's difficult. So to be back with the team and feel like you're part of something is very important for Marcus Smart's mental state because it's very easy to sit at home and feel depressed to watch a game on TV and be so upset that you're not a part of it. Think about how competitive Marcus Smart is and to be so upset that he's not part of that, that that can take a real mental toll. So it's a very important thing for him to be around the guys, to be joking, even though the laughing hurts, to be a part of that and to feel like a part of that and to go through a film session with the guys and at least offer his two cents in a film session, that's important because you know what? He's helping the team. And even though he can't help physically right now, to be in a film session film session, and to break things down and to offer his expertise, that's important and he's making a contribution. And as long as he's feeling like he's making a contribution and as long as he's involved and in, in part of the strategic strategizing, oh my god, strategizing? What the hell, John? What the hell was that? Part of the strategy, strategizing. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. I'm not editing that out. Uh it it keeps him involved mentally. It it keeps him in the flow of things, and it, he understands now why the coaching staff is doing certain things, and he can be part of all of those decisions and understanding. So whenever he does get back into it, he's got the entire history of everything that's been happening. So it's all very important. He's got now the progression in the pool, so he can f- start working and and feeling better that way, and all of the modern techniques of healing the electro stim or whatever else they put the different things that they can uh, put on there to help the muscle kind of heal quicker than if it had happened to you or to me. Uh, I don't even know at my age in my physical shape that I even have an oblique in there somewhere. But if, if for some reason I did manage to hurt that it would take me a lot longer uh, but yeah, it's important for him to, to be there and doing that. And it's just, it's just nice to see. And whenever he does come back, he's going to, it's going to be a very important lift, obviously for the Celtics. So that was Marcus Smart's appearance. He had a nice media availability, he said a lot of things. You can of course read my and Tom Westerholm's separate stories on the Marcus Smart availability and the team reaction Kyrie and Brad Stevens reacting to smart and, and all of the stuff that I was talking about here. It's on masslive.com, masslive.com slash Celtics. If you want to go, you should just like bookmark that because Tom and I are doing a lot of work there and it's free 
and you can just go ahead, masslive.com slash Celtics, and just go directly to it. Make that part of make that part of your daily routine as long as well as the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Like listen to the podcast, go to masslive.com slash Celtics, check out our stuff because it's just a lot of we're putting in a lot of work, and I think some of it is actually pretty good. Mostly Tom stuff, but I think mine mine ends up being okay. And I've got some stories coming out that are I actually have a Marcus Smart story that's on on hold because of the injury. So whenever that comes out, I'll let you know, but masslive.com slash Celtics and, uh, you know, help us out. Hook me up, hook yourself up by subscribing to the podcast, hook yourself up by checking out the work and hopefully you enjoy it. We're going to come back with more from practice. The other stuff, Brad spoke, Kyrie spoke. So some of the other stuff from practice, some of the stuff that I saw that I thought was interesting, and uh, we'll talk about that next on the Locked On Celtics podcast. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. One of the things that I noticed when I walked into Celtics practice on Tuesday was Al Horford putting in a little extra work with one of his own personal trainers, his own uh, guy, his own coach, uh, in addition to his, you know, the Celtics work, but a little something extra with his own people, which I thought was interesting because he was working on some some of the low post stuff, you know, working against the guy that was hitting him with one of the big pads and getting his, just getting his touch back down. But he had a tough first half uh, in, in game one and he was working on the corner threes. All of those little problem things that he just... Didn't look comfortable with in game one. He was out there doing in practice when I saw him. And it was really interesting to see just the spots that he was choosing uh, at the free throw line, uh, at the elbow, uh, the way he was asking the coaches to challenge his shot. The, like visually, 
he was telling coaches how to close out on him because that's how the Pacers were closing out on him. And he wanted to get used to that that hand in his face and, and shooting with that uh, that hand in his face from that particular angle and, and how close they were getting to him. And it was just real interesting. You're talking about fine-tuning things. That was that was really good. And corner threes, uh, like I said, getting into the corner. If if he's going to be asked to to spot up in the corner, I mean, I don't I don't like using him as a corner spot up guy. But there are very often going to be times where he is at one part one spot on the floor, and as he runs through some of the rotations, some of these new plays. He's going to end up in the corner, and he needs to just be more comf- comfortable there. Like I said last night with the uh, in the podcast with Jay, he shoots like under thirty percent, like twenty eight percent from the corners, and that's just for a, a shooter as good as Al Horford is. That's just not a spot that he's used to shooting from. I mean, he hits baseline jumpers all the time, and he hits above the break threes all the time. It's a comfort level thing. If you're just not used to to being in a corner, spotting up, catching, shooting threes, that's it's just it's, theoretically. I mean, he was hitting almost all of the the corner threes that he was taking in practice. He's a good enough shooter to do that and look awesome in practice while he's doing that. But to do that at game speed, it's just different. And if you're not comfortable with it, you got to get comfortable with it. If you're going to keep doing it, or they got to stop using them that way. And if he's going to keep practicing that, then I think they're going to keep doing it. So he needs to get comfortable with it. And that's part of what I saw at practice today. Brad Stevens did speak. Uh, He was asked about Marcus Smart and and a lot of that stuff. Same thing. Talked about Marcus Smart's playmaking and that some of the things that we've been talking about on the podcast. uh, And he says, uh, I'm going to read directly from the quote uh, uh, about Smart's playmaking. It's different. Uh, with our starting lineup, we we played last game because it really puts Kyrie at the point almost the whole time. Uh, you might play Al there a little bit. You might play the wings um, on a possession or two, but mostly Kyrie will have the ball. Whereas with Marcus, you can really play Kyrie off the ball and he can be a cutter and those type of things. So that limits you a little bit. Then he said, we'll play ter- Terry and Gordon more with Kyrie than we have, but ultimately there's going to be moments where Kyrie will have to do that. We'll have one point guard on the floor. So stylistically, not having smart is a burden for Kyrie, and Kyrie addressed it, that he also said that that you don't want to have too much dribbling with without smart there. Um, and you he says, he makes my job a lot easier, is the quote. He makes my job a lot easier just because I don't have to dribble the ball as much or create as much. You have a second lead guard who can go out there and just really make decisions and make good decisions for our team. It's it's just great. I've, I've said this before. It's great to have Kyrie off the ball because when Kyrie is catching the ball coming off a cut or off a pin down, he, first of all, you catch the you catch the ball at a different angle, and people who have been defending Kyrie just trying to lock him up with his handle. Now you're chasing him off of screens. You're not used to chasing Kyrie Irving off screens, and sometimes you just get a wear down a defender by hitting him with a couple of screens. Like the more the more you run a defender off screens, the less he's going to want to fight through them. So unless he's Marcus Smart and you just don't care, 
or you enjoy the contact, but it's uh, it's good to have Kyrie's defender feel a couple of screens every once in a while just to let them know there there's going to be some physical play here. You're not just trying to stay in front of Kyrie. You're going to get whacked a couple of times. That's That takes its toll. Now, without Smart there, what do you do? You start uh, more Terry Rozier. I don't want more Terry Rozier. Uh, I, I didn't like much of what Terry Rozier did in game one. So I'm, I'm okay with less Terry Rozier. Uh, I'm okay with more Gordon Hayward in that role. And, and Hayward brings an element that, uh, depending on what the Pacers do, we saw him attacking the mismatch there when they've had Collison. If you see a play where a, a guard, Kyrie or uh, Terry Rozier, if Collison's on the floor bringing that ball up the right wing, then if the Pacers are switching, then Gordon Hayward will go set that pick and then he'll just try to back down Collison because he's just bigger and stronger. And the ball will swing from the wing to the top of the key, which might be Horford or Aaron Baines. And and Hayward is just slowly backing his guy down. Now Hayward can do that as as a mismatch. And they, they ran that play a couple of times in game one. I expect them to do more of that. But he can also not only take advantage of those mismatches, but handle the ball, drive, kick, and you can run some of the stuff that we were, I was just talking about with Kyrie off the ball. The other thing, speaking of Kyrie and Al, I asked Brad Stevens about that, um, that having those two guys off the floor at the same time, and he kind of hesitated. I, I feel like his reaction was interesting because he said, you know, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be watching. We're watching that. Um, and he was very kind of quick to get away from that question, which just makes me feel like that's something that he's thinking. That's going to be a wrinkle and adjustment for game two, that if you change the way you substitute, like if you start, Kyrie and then pull him out at the eight minute mark or somewhere around there and you sit him for three minutes and you, I don't know, maybe you, you have Al Horford out at the five minute mark and you bring him in at the eight minute mark to finish the quarter and you just change, you kind of stagger some of the, those two guys uh, a little bit in between quarters, and then you you find a way to get them back on the floor at the same time to close out halves. I think Brad Stevens is is looking at that. I think one of the adjustments that we might see in game two is 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 that staggering? Is that keeping those guys, one of those two guys on the floor at almost all times? Uh, and then we'll see what happens with the starting lineup. He said, He's always evaluating. They're always evaluating everything, he said. And I I still wonder, as I said in last night's podcast, I still wonder if starting Jalen is the right thing to do. That I think you can still chase Boyan Bogdanovich over the top of screens and play the defense the way they've been playing and make things difficult for him with another guy. 
Obviously, I'm still advocating for Shemi, but you can do that with Gordon Hayward. At least Gordon Hayward's more of a playmaker than Jalen Brown, and he's not going to hurt you. And what you can do is maybe you play Gordon Hayward the whole first quarter instead of Kyrie. And Kyrie is is when you're you're looking to have somebody on the floor with uh, Al Horford, maybe it's it's Gordon Hayward that plays extra minutes in Kyrie's place while Horford is there, and then you can you can bring Kyrie back in for Hayward and then figure things out rotationally that way. I mean, that that would make more sense to me is at least Gordon Hayward is willing to distribute and willing to make those passes. So I think that's kind of where the Celtics are going to go in game two. I feel like fixing the minutes without Kyrie and Al will be a thing. And maybe, maybe an adjustment to the starting lineup. I just think Jalen is better off the bench this season. And you can you can still do some of the things that you're able to do without Jalen. And it just I'd, I'd rather unlock Jalen on offense a little bit while he can still play that defense uh, on the second unit. He can he can do more and be more uh, effective. I think off the bench. Those are my thoughts there. That's the other stuff that was happening at practice. When we come back, I'll give you a little uh, radio hit that I did in Bangor, Maine just to round out the show and give you a little listen to some of the other questions that were asked of me. So stick around for that. And, and uh, yeah, I'll just come right out of the break and play that, and then we'll wrap things up here on the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Talk a little basketball. Celtics getting set for game two of their playoff series with the Indiana Pacers. With more on that, we're joined on the phone by John Corrales of MassLive.com and the Locked On Celtics podcast. John, before we talk basketball, what a couple of good looking pups you've got there on your Twitter page. <laughs> yeah, those are my boys there. Biggie and Masso. I figured uh I figured they they deserve a little bit of uh, a little bit of a spotlight. Those guys, they're fun. They deserve it. Those are some handsome guys right there. Oh, yeah. They're the best. They're awesome. And boxers. I love boxers, man. Great personality for a dog. Well, let's talk about what happened uh, in game one. Was it, depending on your perspective, great defense or really poor offense? A little from column A, a little from column B. The Celtics did manage to defend you know, pretty well. They, they did force. Uh, Indiana into some things that they didn't want to do. There was some measure of Indiana missing some makeable shots. I think in the second half, in that third quarter especially, the the Pacers, if you watch the beginning of that, that quarter, the Pacers were still playing well and still getting some shots that they wanted, and uh, they started to miss. And when the Celtics started to make shots that they weren't making in the first half, Kyrie, Al Horford, they started to chip away at that deficit and start to build a lead. I think the Pacers got a little tight. They got a little frustrated. They got a little, they started to press a little bit. They started to say, we need to end this run rather than just go and focus on making the shots. So I think the Celtics played pretty good defense. I think the Pacers 
started missing some shots, and they uh, it all kind of spiraled out of control. I think the Celtics early on were missing some shots, too. That first half offense was not great. And, again, some of it was pretty good Pacers defense. But they managed to force Kyrie Irving to pass, not, not being able to finish at the rim. Uh, they, they forced – and also the way the Celtics played, uh, it, it forced some guys maybe into some positions that weren't entirely comfortable with. Like, I don't think Al Horford is entirely comfortable shooting the corner three. And they, they kind of worked. A pick and roll with uh, with Aaron Baines and Kyrie Irving that that needed uh, uh, Horford to be in the corner. So the Celtics tried some things that were just kind of eh, you know, it didn't work out exactly the way they thought. There were also stretches without Kyrie and Al Horford on the floor, which I think hurt the Celtics. So there was Kyrie calls it a feel out game. I think there was some of that going on. Uh, I'm going to assume both teams shoot a little bit better in Game Two. What kind of adjustments do you think the Pacers might make for this second game? Well, you know, in talking to the Pacers, they might they might do some lineup things. There might be a, an issue where they go small. Maybe they play Thaddeus Young some more minutes. But their, their primary focus is tightening up some of the little things, the nuance. The, uh, when they run a pick and roll with Bojan Bogdanovic, Bogdanovich said, i got to do a better job of setting up my guy. And it's, it's that little kind of basketball nerdy thing of how a guy, a ball handler, sets up the, the, the defender so a guy like Miles Turner or DeMontis Sabonis can come up and, and hit the guy with a pick and force the defense to do something different uh, as opposed to the Celtics. They were able to kind of get around those picks a little easier. They didn't, they didn't really go into rotation very much. So I think for the Pacers, they're going to just try. They might just try a lot of the same things and just try to execute them more cleanly. But I think the Pacers could do something like a lot more Thad Young. Maybe they don't go with their Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis on the floor together as much. Even if the Celtics have Baines and Horford on the floor, it might be in their best interest to try to Put a smaller guy out there. Go small and see if they can't force the Celtics to adjust to them rather than them adjusting to the Celtics. I'm watching some of this video. Any chance they can get uh, Tito Horford in the lineup? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, man, Al Horford's bad. He's, he's been around for these uh, for the last game and shooting around at the practice. He, he looks good. He looks good. I wouldn't be surprised to get out there and give him a few good minutes, man. Uh, he's in good shape, good spirits, still can shoot the ball. Yeah, I love Theo. John Corrales with us here on Downtown. Uh, you wrote a terrific piece on Marcus Smart. Uh, it has to be frustrating for him to be uh, trying to come back and to watch his teammates out there in postseason. Yeah, Marcus Smart made an appearance at practice today and kind of gave his version of the injury and the recovery. Uh, going going back to the injury, he hit. Busevich in that Orlando game, and he thought it was more like a bruise, and he, he convinced the training staff to let him go back out there, and he got into a defensive stance, and it felt like when he still was a stabbing in his side. And, and for the past few days, maybe a week or so, he's been basically unable to walk around without pain, grimacing and pain. And this was the first day he said that he hasn't walked with some, some sort of pain which is tough. I mean, it's a full week of just that constant grimace. If you think about the oblique, everything comes from your core. You try to get up out of bed, mm. any, any move that you make, it comes from the center of your body. So 
He said even laughing or sneezing or coughing right now hurts a lot. So he's still in a significant amount of pain. The recovery is going to be slow. Uh, makes me think that that four week is that four week estimate is going to be really, really ambitious. I, I just don't see him being able to come back and play NBA basketball so soon. Uh, he's getting in the pool. He's going to try in a couple of weeks to start some light jogging, but to right now it's just a frustrating wait for him to heal enough so he can continue that rehab. And, and, and do some of the things to strengthen around that area. But a torn muscle, you, you just got to have to wait it out. And that is especially frustrating. I, I hope people got their tickets early because prices are going up even for tonight's game, I see. Or tomorrow yeah, night's game. Yeah the, uh, the, the, yeah, the secondary market, the resale, I think I think when fans are, uh, are, are they, they, at the end of the regular season, we're kind of down on the Celtics. So tickets, people are like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. I'm going to sell these and take what I can get. Now that they won game one, people are like, oh, okay, this could be interesting. They win game two. I wouldn't be surprised if those ticket prices keep going up. Did you catch any of that uh, Warriors-Clippers game, and what the heck was that all about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was. So I'm watching the game, but then, you know, they're up 30, and I just like, I have the game on in the background. I, I, got, I got stuff to do. I'm having a conversation, and I'm just writing some stuff. And you look back over, you're like, wait, wait a minute, what happened here? <laughs> uh, you watch the, the Clippers. We watched the Clippers do it to the Celtics. The Clippers have probably had, off the top of my head, I can't remember, maybe four or five, maybe more, 20-plus point comebacks in the second half of this entire season. So coming back from 31 down is obviously historic, but not completely out of character for these Clippers. In today's NBA, it doesn't take a lot. You have a two, three minute stretch where they're hitting threes. A guy like Lou Williams get going. Got a Montrez Harrell get going. You run those guys to pick and roll, and if you're lazy on defense, you think this thing's in the bag. Next thing you know, nine, 12 points get put on the board, and it's 20, 19, and that all of a sudden becomes manageable. Because the, the, the way the three-point shot is being used nowadays and just how good everybody is when they're shooting. Like, the, the league is full of amazing three-point shooters nowadays. They, they just can't let up. You can't let up. And I know there's a like – the other day when the Celtics were up 22 and there's this feeling like, okay, we can get guys out. Even though it's the Pacers and maybe the Pacers are a little bit of a different story, there's still that feeling like, Somebody gets hot, you hit three shots, you hit three threes, and changes the entire dynamic of this game. So that that's what happened to the the, um, the Warriors. Just relax, you stop playing hard, you think it's in the bag, and it's the playoffs. Teams don't quit because they know go down 2-0, then the series feels very much over. Um, so the Clippers are great at, at putting together those big runs, and, and the Warriors just the combination of the Warriors falling asleep and the Clippers pouring it on, you got history. No question about that. John Corrales, MassLive.com, Locked on Celtics podcast. John, as always, good stuff. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you again next week. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for having me on The Zone in Bangor, Maine. You can find Rich on Twitter at Downtown Rich K. I am on 
every Tuesday at 4.30 there. So check it out if you're in the Bangor, Maine area or online. It's uh, You follow at Downtown Rich K and you can get me uh, every Tuesday at 4.30 Eastern Time on that. So that's the show. Hope you guys enjoy it. We'll be back post-game. I think tonight's going to be Sam and uh, I think Chris Grenham is going to join him because I will be knee-deep in post-game stories on MassLive.com slash Celtics. So we're going to get a little stand-in for the post-game show, a little something different. Chris is great. If you don't know Chris, he's great. Um, young up-and-comer uh, as far as sports coverage goes in Boston. So stick around for that tonight after the game. Follow me on Twitter, Reds Army underscore John. If you're new to the show, subscribe to the show on the new Himalaya podcast app, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, everywhere podcasts exist. So do we. Regular listeners, give us that five-star rating and a good review. And spread the word. Share the podcast. Tell everybody to listen to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.